Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more meaningful conversations with ourselves and with each other. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and I am so, so excited for this conversation. Joining us this week is a dear colleague, new colleague in the last year and a half or so we've connected, Nola Simon. And let me tell you a little bit about her and the topic we'll be exploring. Nola Simon is on a mission to make the future of work more flexible, inclusive, and fun. She's a writer, podcaster, and consultant. Uh, I love this, a hybrid remote futurist, which I can't wait to get into that of, you know, what do you, what are you seeing? I mean, we were in it. And then what do you see? She's often interviewed by media across Canada for her expertise in distributed work strategy. She's also the creator of the Hybrid Remote Center of Excellence. This is an incredible place. And we'll talk about this resource that she's built for workforce transformation pros to ask questions and get answers from peers. Welcome to the show, Nola. It is so cool to be here, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. I've been like, I get to end the day talking to Nola. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. (laughs) Oh, I know. Yeah, it's amazing. And and you are like one of the few people that I've actually met through Twitter. Most of the time when I meet people like this, it's it's LinkedIn, right? Mm. But you are like my Twitter buddy. And Mm. I mean, it's not like we're not friends on LinkedIn, but that's where it started. Yeah, no, I am. Well, I, I, uh, Yeah, you know, it's always funny on social media, because people just sort of come into your sphere sometimes, like, and they just slowly some some become more in focus, and you start crossing each other's paths. And then you go, I don't, I don't know that I remember exactly the moment, but you just emerged into my life. And I'm so glad that it happened. So yeah, no, it's cool. So needless to say, for people who are listening, uh, we are going to be talking about the future of work and specifically exploring just all things with where we're at with hybrid and remote and what do we need to be thinking about. But first, before we get into that fun story, Nola, what else would you like other than your beautiful bio? What else (laughs) would you like people to know about you? Uh, So I'm a mom of two teenagers. um, And I think that that really has really focused my development uh, through hybrid and remote, because when I started advocating for hybrid remote way back in 2011, uh, it was because my kids were small and Mm. I needed to be home because we didn't have a lot of extended family. My parents were older. I didn't have a lot of support. So I uh, lived two hours north of uh, Toronto. At least that's what the commute takes. It's only 45 minutes geographically. But I I either had the choice to actually work or race home to actually get to my kids. Mm. And when they were little, they were going to bed at seven o'clock and I only worked 10 to six. So it, it was a two hour commute trying to do it in an hour mm. and it was just awful. So the reason that my, um, that I started all of this is really because of my kids. And that's an interesting thing to talk about as well too, is your motivation for wanting to support hybrid or remote, whatever that looks like for you and your organization will change over time. Mm. Right. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people really talk about because there's an awful lot of talk about how it, how it enables caregiving for small kids, but it's really important for older kids too. And then what does that look like as your kids become young adults, they leave and and how can you make that work for you uh, on a lifetime basis, right? So that's yeah. where the futurism part comes in. Mm. Is like, we have to come up with solutions that work right now. It's not just about, you know, where are you going to work? Are you coming back to the office? Are you going to be at home? But what does, when you're building all of this, what does that going to, what is that going to look like in five or 10 years? Yeah. 
I, you know, um, well, my second question was going to be, what was your journey? But you already beautifully <laughs> answered that. And, and in hearing you talk when you, when you said, yeah, 2011, and, and here's why, what came, what was coming up for me was the fact that I thought how, how many people have been in your position and didn't know and didn't think they could challenge it and didn't know that they could imagine a new possibility. And we were, this is a story I think I've shared on the show before, but it's such a timely example. We were working with somebody and, and this leader was lamenting a little bit. And I kind of got, I got their frustration of, you know, before the pandemic, nobody was really questioning coming into the office. They weren't really questioning or, or asking for anything other than right Monday through Friday, eight to five or whatever the case might be. And he's in, and, and they said, so I'm kind of struggling with that. And the, that what was coming up for me is, were they not asking or did they not know that they could ask? And so there's something I, I appreciate about hearing the longevity of how long you've been thinking about this. You've been thinking about this and chewing on it. And, and that idea of um, your reason to support will change. Um, you know, it's an obvious um, benefit to individuals who have children for sure. But, you know, as somebody who's not, who's childless by choice, you know, I sit there and think about how it's changed my relationship with my husband, how it's opened up having more time to connect with my parents during the day and not just at night and all of that. Um, what, you know, we, we've been under this massive disruption because of the pandemic and everything that has happened over the last three years. And so I'm curious, I'm curious to hear your perspective on like, what did you observe in companies through that? And where are we now? Because I think some, there's some false sense of we've got it figured out. Definitely. And I we, agree that that's and we false. don't, <laughs> right. <laughs> and we don't. And so I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So actually I'm going to tie it back a little bit more because my journey is a little bit more twisty mm, than it sounds. Okay, yeah. Um, so if you don't mind that if we take the time. I would love so it. I started advocating in 2011. The pilot didn't start until 2012. And the reason that I knew I could do that is because one of the few people who actually lives in the same town as I did worked for the same company. Mm. And she had worked for the company for so long that she had actually gotten to the top of the salary band. And the only thing they could offer her to reward her for good work was flexibility. Mm. And so she had negotiated working at home 100% of the time, right? And so I went in with that offer going, I know you do this mm. for certain areas mm. of the company. What does that look like for our division? Right. And so that's where a pilot started. But six weeks into the pilot, I actually broke my foot. So, yes, that took a year to negotiate. And six weeks into it is like, oh, I'm going to have to lose this because I'm going mm -hmm. to have to go and leave because mm -hmm. I couldn't drive. It was my right foot. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, just so happens the director that I had was on vacation and there was a, a like a, somebody covering for her. And she was very persuaded by my argument that there was nothing wrong with my brain. I just couldn't <laughs> walk very well. And since we had the capability, why couldn't I try to work from home rather than mm. have to go on leave, right? So I became this guinea pig for everything hybrid, remote, 
Um, and at, back in 2012, we didn't really have a whole lot of systems, right? So uh, it was a wonderful learning experience for me to be at the forefront of how all the processes were working, the, 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 the systems, everything that could go wrong that would go wrong, how you would actually cope if you actually couldn't go into the office, because mm. that was something that they struggled with, because mm. their gut reaction was, if something's not working, you have to come to the office. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't, right? And so eventually, after two and a half months, they decided to pull the pilot. And I think in part that was actually to bring me back to the office because they couldn't figure out another way to do that. And so I went on leave. But then in 2013, uh, we lost it completely. And then we went back 2014. And we started gradually adding a day because every every year we got out of it, we we had better and better systems. So mm. by 2018, I was working at home four days a week. Wow. And then I had fallen into the trap where I did too much work because sure. that happens yeah. when yeah. you don't have great yeah. boundaries mm-hmm. and too much workload. Mm-hmm. Um, I developed pneumonia. And mm. I uh, the one day that week that I had to go to the office, I passed out at the wheel and hit a fully loaded double car cement hauler Oh my gosh. And closed the major highway into Toronto and made a million people late for work. <gasps> and that's where I went on leave again to recover from the pneumonia and the car accident. I mean, nobody else was hurt. I destroyed my car. I walked away. I was fortunate to walk away. I lost my license until I got medical approval because they wanted to make sure there's nothing wrong with my brain. Sure. But that was where I'm like, I'm not commuting anymore. Mm. So I, I managed to actually get the only remote job that existed in the whole company. And it was actually based where I lived. <laughs> the odds of that happening were kind of fun. And um, then my role was restructured in 2020. Hmm. And that's when I was looking at what I wanted to do. I determined that the most valuable thing that I had really done was actually help people understand how to actually make hybrid work. Mm-hmm. And how you really kind of have to base it into remote and get the remote aspects right. And then you can really layer on what you want the in-person component really to be. Because most hybrid is really remote first. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's that's the journey. So I, I usually tell people that I've, I've worked every kind of version of uh, hybrid remote that there is, except digital nomadism. I think my husband would have objected to that. But... <laughs> Uh, I used to have to travel for work. So I have experience with traveling like that too. Um, and your question that you asked was about where we stand and, and what we've learned and, and where we are when we're going mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. I think that people just don't understand that it's not new, mm. right? That there mm. is expertise out there and that they can call upon that. And we're in that phase that I was in in 2003. 13, 2014, where it's like, we just need to bring everybody back to the office because we don't know how to lead. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's what the magic is right now. Um, managers and leaders and, and like executives really have to figure out how they have to change the way they lead and how that impacts their work. And there's a disinclination to actually do that work. By a lot of leaders, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because it's challenging their their notions and their stories of what it's been like to be successful for themselves. Because yeah. most of their success probably happened pre-pandemic. And when they're mentoring people and they're telling people about their career, how do you tell those stories in a way where the office doesn't resonate? 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of unlearning that they have to do mm-hmm. and reskilling and upskilling and that motivation to change. People hate losing. Mm-hmm. I think you said that in mm-hmm. your book, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a perception. And that's, I think, what the struggle is, is leaders perceive that they're losing something by not being able to bring people back into the office and staff feel that they're losing that flexibility by having to come into the office. Right. Mm. So everybody feels like they're losing something, but it's about how you do that reframe. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was really interested in your book in the elephants, because there's elephants galore (laughs) in the whole office, hybrid, remote, digital nomadism. What does it mean to work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's some like invisible, you know, I mean, like invisible elephants of, you know, what you're hitting on is the some of those beliefs or fears or losses that are at play. I hadn't. And we've thought about we've we've, we've talked on on our team and we've talked about different losses we've witnessed. And Mm. it's, it's it's interesting. I hadn't also made that connection of what made you valuable Right. What made you valuable as a mentor? What made you valuable as a coach and maybe more of, again, a mentoring style isn't isn't as relevant anymore. And I hadn't thought about that layer of loss as well of it's just not going to it's just not going to (laughs) work like it's not going to the the whole system is changing and the expectations are changing and the experience of the younger generations and their familiarity and comfort with digital technology is so so fundamentally different than say when i look at you know people who are maybe in the boomer age or the late you know gen x age it's a very significant gap of of experience so sorry go ahead what were you gonna say that's okay i'm i was gonna say it's it's not necessarily like it's not relevant anymore it's about how do you reframe those stories Mm. right Mm. because there's value in um in what they learned what they experienced but how do you reframe it so that the the location of where things happened isn't the star Mm. Mm. right Mm. and that's really what it comes down to People get used to telling their stories in a certain way. I mean, my dad is horrible for this, right? Like he'll tell you the same story like 10 times and it's comfortable for him because that's just his perception of the world and that's the way he likes to tell stories. To to actually go back and reframe it to make sure that the story is going to track for somebody else, it takes a certain level of empathy. Um, And I think you really need to do the work to realize that that's needed. Mm. Right. So what's the purpose of your storytelling? What's the purpose of you mentoring or sponsoring? You know, you really kind of have to focus on the person who's receiving those stories, right. To really kind of think that about that reframe and that takes effort and that takes work and everybody's so busy. Everybody's so overwhelmed. And that's a, a thing that I really think came out of the pandemic as well. Um, and again, this is because everybody's still at the beginning of learning how to work uh, remotely, how do you create those boundaries that allows you the space to reconsider what it is you want, what others need, and how you could really help, mm-hmm. right? Because it's- they haven't built the boundaries to give themselves the space to do the the internal work that they really need to do to be useful. 
Yeah. And then that's such a great point you bring up from the standpoint of, and we haven't necessarily had to um, or have chosen not to think about really think about people from a very individual level, right? If you want to work here, we work here, whatever the hours are, depending on the industry, this is when the work gets done. And, and now we're adding another thing that we have to think about and be intentional about. And it, and it is much more individualized, um, than just some carte blanche, um, policy or whatever the case might be. And I think that's a, that's a really interesting, again, another perspective, um, that I hadn't, uh, heard, offered in that way. And there is this tension, you know, I want to go back to something that you said, um, you know, we think about for those organizations that are really trying to shift into more of a hybrid model, what we are definitely seeing with the clients that we're supporting is it's in person first, and then remote is still a bit of an afterthought, or it's how do we how do we tr- how do we replicate what we did in person to online, realizing that that yes. might actually that has to look different in some cases. And, um, you know, but you you had mentioned that, no, it's remote first and then then it's in person. Talk to that a bit. So this really comes down to intention. And so when I'm working with people and, and like the framework that I've laid out um, is really what does remote work what does hybrid mean to you, right? Mm. You need to define it, right? And are you treating it as a perk? Mm. Is it a benefit? Mm. Is it a program? Is it an operating system? Or is it in the bones of the organization, right? Because those intentions all look really different. So if you've got a company, and I think this is where a lot of people kind of struggled in the last few years, it's like they've been putting things off until people come back in person. Yeah. Right. So what have you delayed because you you didn't want to deal with it and you were just going to wait until you could bring people back. Right. So now there's like a backlog of things that you need to deal with immediately and you only know how to do that in person. Mm. Right. But there's been a hiccup in terms of bringing people back because people aren't cooperating. They're mm-hmm. not complying um, because, in, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, uh, People move during the pandemic. People don't feel safe. People still feel that they're at risk or they have immunocompromised family members. You know, there's a lot of various reasons that they might choose not to to comply, right? But it really comes down to the company is not really defining what their commitment is to flexibility, Mm -hmm. right? So the companies that are, you know, in person first, That's their commitment. That's their intention. They really Mm -hmm. want to be Mm. in person. They are only supporting the flexibility because they think that they'll lose staff. Mm. Right? And it's, um, we're offering this because we have to, but as soon as we can get away from it, we're going to. Right? But people know that. Staff know that. And this is where trust becomes this whole underlying currency People are going to see the true intentions and it's going to filter through your storytelling. It's going to filter through your processes and your procedures. And it's only going to be once everybody trusts the process that it's going to become embedded in the organization. So what's happening is, you know, a lot of leaders, I I often have a visual of an ostrich in the sand, (laughs) burying its head (laughs) in the sand because they want to 
kind of avoid what's going on, yeah. right? And yeah. they don't necessarily want to commit to it because they're they're following the news. There's a lot of noise going on. Somebody like Elon Musk comes in and then just shuts it down completely. And they're like, hey, why? if he can do this, why can't I do this? I mean, what he did was awful, but mm-hmm. that tells you an awful lot about the people who want to emulate him, right? And it didn't work right, for him either, right? right? Because- a lot of places he's he's already telling the staff, especially in Europe and, and various different places, that they can actually work remotely still, right? So it was really hard mm-hmm. for him to actually undo that despite his grand intention to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. that culture was really well embedded before he even got there, right? So it really mm-hmm. comes down to the systems that surround the intentions and it's also not completely in your control either. So I came from financial services, right? I was in wealth management. The stock market operates at a certain time of day, right? There's right, there's right, privacy right. guidelines, there's controls, you know, some of that, some of it needs to be done in person, right? So what regulatory restrictions are you dealing with? Not every industry can, can pivot directly. And a lot of people actually will come to me and say, oh, you don't understand. Well, my husband is a home renovations contractor. He literally can work out of everybody else's house except mine. Sure. (laughs) Right. So I understand what in-person work is. Right. But I think that you, if you've got flexibility within your organization, you might have pockets where you can't necessarily support, but Mm -hmm. treat those as the exceptions. Don't build it Mm. for everyone based on Mm. the fact that you have to have exceptions, right? There's, I well, first, I feel like I'm just, I want to be a student and just sit and listen to you. I'm learning so much (laughs) and and how you're talking about it and how you're thinking. And I'm like, I got to sign up for that. I got to sign up for that community so I can deepen my my knowledge of it. The, um, that idea of really clarifying your commitment and being honest and transparent with it because so often what happens is I mean, again what, what, what we're seeing is that the commitment that the company ma- is making is more like a perk right it's yeah. a it's a it's a perk it's a privilege it's a privilege yes. and the the c- c- the tension is that team members are saying no this is just a right now like right. i'll walk and what's different from yeah what's different from now to like 2013, 2014 is now there's options. So if you don't offer that flexibility that people are wanting, I mean, that was partly why I stayed with my organization for so long. It's like I would lose, I was afraid that I would lose that flexibility that was enabling me to take care of my kids. And so I stayed because that was valuable and it couldn't necessarily be easily found or negotiated because it tended to be offered to people with tenure. Right. Mm, so mm-hmm. it's like if you've already gotten yourself three or four days at home, how do you walk away from that when you know you can't necessarily walk into something else? Right. That's yeah. the way it used to be. Right. Now it's a lot more common that, especially if you've got valuable in demand skills and, and you're somebody who really can easily kind of translate into from one company to another you can negotiate that Mm, and it's mm -hmm. not that big a fear, right? So that's where companies have to worry and really kind of rethink whether they want to treat it like that perk that they can kind of discontinue down the line. You know, it's, it's no longer intimidating. And Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of companies are, are still trying to use that mindset where 
they're like, we can pull this at any time we want. I mean, I used to have to sign off on paperwork that if my dog barked or, you know, my kids cried and a customer complained that I could lose my work from home. That was like a legal wow. contract I wow. had to sign. Wow. And that's another thing that actually happened with the, with the pandemic. And that was good because it became very common to have interruptions like that mm-hmm. because it's almost impossible to control mm-hmm. if you live in a house with other people, right? And it's going to be different for everybody. My my biggest challenge a lot of times is my dad just wandering in the middle of the day. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm on the phone. Like, literally, I'm on a video screen. They can see you. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> He doesn't even live here. <laughs> but, but, he, but he shows up. But he's he would just show up. up. And, you know, I mean, right? When he, he, you know, he just wanted to be part of the experience. No, it's. Yeah. I mean, that's that. That is definitely one of the gifts of the pandemic. Is it just normalized being human? And it normal exactly. even in the prep for this. You're like, hey, my dog might bark, and we're like, yep, that happens. You know, we'll just we, edit it out. It, yeah, exactly. yeah. If it gets distracting, we'll edit it out. But if it's just once or twice, then that's also just part of the the norm. Yeah, I leave it in, honestly, just to make sure that it's normalized. Right, right. Yeah. We'll be back with Nola Simon after this. What, What would you say to the... Uh, you know, I love I love the you know because a lot of the people who listen to the show are either in HR, they're in formal leadership positions, or or they're you know trying to impact the world that they're in, whatever that looks yeah. like. And so I think that is a, a, such a gift that you've given all of us to think about what's really the intention here, what's the commitment we're willing to make, and let's be really honest and transparent with it, and to speak to the fact that by not doing that, one we can espouse this value, but our actual behaviors are going to be different. And then that can cause distrust and people can be conditionally like, oh, when is this, when's the shoe going to drop? But you also spoke to the fact that there are just depending on the industry, um, sometimes, and, and this is, it's, it's, it's fair, true and accurate. And Sometimes I think it's used as an excuse. So let me finish my thoughts so you can know where I'm going. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it makes sense in my brain. But when you have, when you're in an organization that has different needs, right? You have a bank that has tellers who have to be public facing and, you know, uh, uh, I was going to say manning the stage, but I wanted to rephrase my language there, but had to be present for public. Or, you know, a lot of times we're working with manufacturing clients. Well, the line doesn't move if people are working from home, but then you have back office individuals. So sometimes the excuse or deflection is like, well, we can't do it because we can't do it for everyone. Right? right. And what would you say to those leaders or the people in those situations that might be struggling with that? So I used to have a client who was manufacturing based and they had a, a separate head office and, and they were actually, they actually had different 401k plans for each division. Um, and so they, had problems like that always. And there was always a feeling of unfairness between Mm -hmm. the people who worked in the office and the people who worked on the floor. So I think that that is endemic. It's built into the culture that you've created and and built. And it's really just going to amplify what's already there. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. that if you're experiencing that and you're afraid of that, it already exists in your company. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. Keep. I will continue being at the Church of Nola. Continue. 
So you're going to, that opens up a conversation to say, okay, what does it look like right now in person? Because the work that you have to do is really culture-based in terms of how those two areas are interacting to begin with, right? So I agree with them that hybrid or remote or whatever they put in place for the people who have the ability to be, be flexible will cause problems because those problems already exist. They're yeah. going to Im- they're going to amplify the feelings of unfairness because those feelings are already there. It's mm-hmm. going to fan the flames, right? You have to do the work, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand. This is not just something that you discuss as like a Band-Aid, something that you add on. If you want this to work, you're working through all of the issues that work in your organizations already or don't work in your organization already, right? So this is where it becomes leadership. It's, do you have policies spelled out? Um, what do exceptions look like? Because a lot of times the the scary stuff is, is how you deal with the policies that you created, but the exceptions that you allow, mm, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of exceptions. I'm a fan of creating policy that is more flexible and then you can detail it down, Mm. right? And I find that, especially the industries that I've come from, they tend to detail out the the policies to the extent where you have no choice except to make the exceptions Mm. because they're too detailed, Mm. right? And Mm -hmm. I find that that's where the scary stuff lies and that's where the uncertainty and the ambiguity lies and people just don't know. Right. So you really have to start at a bird's eye view of the organization. And it starts with that intention. And Mm. it's about how that intention looks at every different level. Because what's happening is your executives, the people who are creating this, um, are going to have one perception of how it's going to work. And the people who are on the front line are going to understand it in a very different way because it's like a game of telephone. Mm, that communication mm. doesn't go straight through the, the organization, right? Mm-hmm. And middle managers, middle managers are taking the brunt yeah. from both ends, mm-hmm. right? So you really have to streamline the intention and you have to look at how the story is being told at all levels of that organization and only then can you move into the process and procedures and i think what's happening right now and where a lot of the like the content that's happening on linkedin and twitter is just like eye rolling like it's just massively annoying and boring (laughs) is because everybody's jumped into the process and yeah without really doing the imagination and the creativity and looking at the possibilities of what is it we're doing? What is it we want this to be? What could we create if we didn't necessarily worry about all the details right away? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's where the futurism aspect comes into it is like, sure, you can do all of that, but what are you going to end up with? Mm -hmm. Right. Because I mean, there's a lot of people who say like you, the pandemic is actually like a really big opportunity to recreate Mm -hmm. what work has always been, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How often are we going to get this opportunity to do this, right? right? So if we don't take the opportunity to imagine what this could look like five or 10 years from now, we're going to get stuck with what we, we put in place right now, right? And that's where it's really important to really consider what else 
you want. I put it on Twitter the other day. I don't know if you happen to see it, but it's like, forget about like all of the details, like throw the rule book out the the window and just say like, if you could imagine your perfect day at work, Hmm. what would that look like? Hmm. Right? What would you, what would you do? When would you wake up? You know, how do you eat breakfast? Who are you eating breakfast with? What, when you go to work, what does that look like? Are you walking into a door and you're in your like your your home? Are you commuting? Are you going to an office? Are you going to a co working space? Are you going to a house that's being renovated and like made into like the neighborhood co working space? Because that's happening. I know mm. of a company that does that. Um, you know what does that look like? And how often are you working? Right? Because like four day work week is happening around the world. There's experiments yeah. going in place. And for a lot of people, they've exper- tried this already. And I honestly tried four day work week all oh, way back in 2019, 2009. It was awesome. But I don't think that that's the future. I think the future is more like, what does a three day work right. week look like? Yes. Because yes. if you bring in AI yes. and you can get all of the grunt work, the boring work, the, yes. the repetitive work, uh-huh. and and really the, the work that you're doing is the imaginative, the creative, the human work, can you go down to a three-day work week and still make the same amount of money? Yeah. But then you have all this time to really kind of look at other social issues. So like, you know, what does community look like? Mm. Are you volunteering? Are you supporting people? Um is this how we finally get a, away from loneliness? Because right. we're we're tipping the balance back to life rather than work. Yeah, yeah. It's right? no. I mean, yeah. I now that's why I love you. I it's <laughs> because so I, I I I the 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 charge you're making of how do we slow down a little bit and not just do technical tactical fixes to get us right what's like and maybe there is some band-aids short term what's the band-aid so we can make this work make it sustainable but a lot of companies figured that out because they had to and they figured it out very very quickly right and And that's the thing they know right they They, know what didn't work during the pandemic and so they can start there yeah and really just continue with what was working and then look at what wasn't working. Right. right? And that's where you you do the imagination. It's and I think I I I do feel like I personally I bear I feel this very deeply in my bones that just like you said, we've been given this opportunity to rethink work. You know, something my colleague Dr. Teresa Peterson and I have explored is just, you know, the decentralization of work in our lives. And and I think that's the value also of, you know, the type of work you're doing and the community you're building is because sometimes you can't always imagine something you aren't uh, aware of what it could look like. What, here's what I mean, is that it, just to your point, you know, people thinking about, boy, how do we just work 40 hours a week instead of 60? Or how do we work four days instead of five? And I mean, I'm like, I, I just want to work three and a half days on and three and a half days off. Like, I like just I'll split my days. I'll, I know my thinking will be better. I know my rest will be better. I know my health will be better, all of that. And that's something we as a team internally, we, we were just talking this week of, we love that we are at anyone who's full-time on the team is 32 30 to 32 hours but even that is like really loose because we don't track anything and just get your work done right 
Um, But we're like, how do we get it to 20 or 25? You know, how do we get it? So it's about three, three to maybe five hours a day or, you know, or maybe you have an intense couple of days and you have the time off. And and I know that for me, sometimes it's even because you're so used to this one way of working. You're so used to this being that anything better than that feels innovative and substantial and significant and that's why being in community with other people going yeah but what does three and a half days look like well shit i hadn't even thought about that like i just want to get to four (laughs) days or what is you know even you know the what is a um neighborhood co-working space look like wow had what couldn't have even thought of that because hadn't even considered that as a possibility which is why it's so important we are in conversation about this because otherwise we're limited to our rules and experiences and all of that and that can limit the dreaming but the dreaming's definitely i mean what we're observing is the dreaming is not happening near it's just not happening it's it's not they, i don't i don't think i know a company actually maybe i mean i'm thinking of maybe one that is like this is how we want to work but this is a company that's been doing virtual or hybrid for 10 years so they've been thinking yeah. about it a long time they've been experimenting with it a long time yeah. And that's really what it has been is like the pandemic really was an experiment. But so many people just didn't take the time to dream what their dream yeah. was. Is go, let's go back to normal. Let's just go back to what it was we knew. Right. So for everyone listening, we're in the middle of this conversation around the, the necessity of dreaming when actually we got uh, completely obliterated by a power outage. So for those of you watching this on video, you might be wondering, wow, Sarah's wearing a different outfit. Nola, though, however, is very much consistent <laughs> in how she's showing up. But we wanted to make sure we came back to this because it's such a great point to land. And so, Nola, one of the things you were saying is that what you are seeing, and I, I think this is such an astute observation, is that people are just trying to band-aid, right? They're trying to fix and do what they've always done before, and they aren't taking the time to actually dream about what could be. So just say a little bit more about that and what what are some of the things that we should be thinking about or what are even some of the traps that we might get into that would limit us from thinking about, you know, what the world of work can look like? So yeah, in terms of dreaming bigger, I think that there's an inclination, one of the traps humans in all circumstances tend to do is they tend to think that what's the reality right now is going to be the reality like 10 years in the future, right? Mm. That Mm. the more things stay the same, but it's it's not really that way. There's, There's a lot of things that change. You think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the impact that the iPhone had on how we work. Right. right. So that's significant in terms of, of keeping in mind as well, too. Like what's reality right now isn't necessarily going to be reality in five, 10 years from now. So what trends, what signals can you pay attention to to help you imagine what's possible? Like we were talking briefly about um, the four day work week. Well, that's a reality right now that's being tested. It's being trialed. I mean, I, I tried that like 10 years ago as well, too. But what's going to be like 10 years from now Mm. is it going to be more like three days a week Mm. or is it going to be completely different and we we don't even know what that's going to look like yet yeah right one way um i I do a lot of futures uh training uh strategic futures uh foresight and uh one of the things that you can actually do is actually make a list of things that you think to be true right now Mm. and then completely flip it and Mm. say what's the opposite 
And mm-hmm. uh, often people give the example of shoes, right? So shoes can be, you think you know everything about what shoes are, right? So you have multiple pairs, you coordinate them with multiple outfits, um, you know, you wear them inside, you wear them outside, um, you have different shoes for different activities. Well, what would be the different? You'd have one pair and you'd only have her have one pair. And mm-hmm. why would that be? And a lot of that could be like haptics, um, sensors. Uh, it could be like um, government issued tracking, mm-hmm. right? What are the reasons that shoes might be a little bit different, right? How can you apply that to your work, right? And it's going to be a little bit different for everybody as well too, but that's where it's like, you know, make a list of what things you think are true and then flip it. And that's a way that you can stretch your imagination. Mm. I love, I really, um, I love that as an exercise because, you know, again, we get exactly to the point you made, you know, that because it's true now or, right, it feels like a rule. And and this also goes back to, you know, making the connection of the uh, what you said earlier in our conversation of as a company, you need to decide what your commitment is. What does this actually look like? And I think for some companies, it's also, do you, do you want to transform the way of work? Do you want to be behind the transformation? I mean, because we have been given again, this incredible opportunity. And, you know, at the time of recording, I feel like this will be a time capsule. You know, people are just starting to the exposure to things like machine learning and chat GPT. I mean, the masses are starting to figure out like, Oh, Oh, things are exponential. I mean, I don't want to get into it now, but yeah. like when I was first, when I, when I first started tinkering a few weeks ago with that technology, I was like, oh gosh, the world as we know it is going to fundamentally change in ways that I think we're unprepared for. And I think that, you know, like that, that push of we need to be thinking differently. And, you know, one of the things you said before we hopped on that I wanted to make sure that I brought into this call was just how critical it's going to be to listen to your people. It is definitely. And this, your point about AI is is very true because what's exciting is not necessarily what chat GPT is right now, but it's about how people are actually looking at it and going, oh, things are going to be different. It's like this light bulb moment and it's like, okay, how is this going to change the way I approach my work mm-hmm. in all different aspects of work and in different ways? And it's not just just that because now there's a whole thing about music and art and and how that's going to change everything. Um, But what's really exciting in all of the posts that are being written about it is all of these people considering and opening Mm -hmm. up their minds to the possibilities. And that's what I find very exciting about it. The actual outcomes of what comes out of that right now, I'm not too excited about, but the mindset, the mindset is really what needs to shift. And that's where companies really have to pay attention to what their employees are thinking and feeling. Um, because those are the companies that are actually going to do the future of work well, right? Mm. Cause a lot mm. of this is not really just about hybrid or remote. Hybrid remote is almost like an entry point for mm. this discussion about what we want future of work to be, right? Mm. It's an excuse to get in there and talk about mindset and what leadership has to be um, and what skills we're going to need to have for the future and and really what we want to change and make sure it happens, um, you know, five, 10 years from now, right? Like futurism mm. is not prediction, right? Mm. Nobody has mm-hmm. a crystal ball. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we have an idea of what we'd like to see based on, you know, what our past was, based on what we see in terms of the possibilities. And we know that we can create wonderful 
magical things if we work together, collaborate, and put our minds together, right? Yeah. And we have technology to help. And I mean, quantum computing is coming too. Like it's not even just AI, right? Right. So that's the exciting part. But it requires that collaboration, right? And how do you find the people who are going to have that mindset to be able to listen? Well, it's going to be in all different places, right? Yeah. And no one person, it's not HR, it's not the leaders, it's not the current executives. It's everyone is yeah. going to have a, like a shared perspective on what the possibilities could be. And how do you collect all of that information, right? How do you encourage people to share their hopes and their dreams And you can only get to that part if you've got a commitment to listen and taking Mm -hmm. action based on what you hear, right? Mm -hmm. So that's really where I see things getting exciting is is you want to find those organizations and those people are going to be willing to listen and just stretch our imaginations. Yeah, yeah, be willing to experiment a bit. I mean, that's something I feel like we're constantly working on for ourselves and also with folks is just how do we embrace an experimenter's mindset now that you know and that doesn't mean you're you're throwing everything away and rebuilding everything but things are moving they're just moving really really fast and 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 change is always a constant but it it feels like we're in a state of acceleration and i I want to go back to a point you made because I think it's a it's a really powerful reframe. So many people think the I think that my experience, let me clarify, is that so many of us look at hybrid virtual as the end game to clarify instead of the entry point in. And then when you offer it up like that, it's like, and so then what? And I think that's such a beautiful invitation for us to consider. So and, and then what? And then what can it look like? And that's going to be a real challenge for some of the folks that are currently in positions of power and authority because they're used to doing work a certain way, that we're used to communicating a certain way, leading a certain way. And how do we and how do we change it? I uh, I will share with you. I I've been inspired by our conversation where it's reinforced things that I've been thinking about. But I was just having a conversation this morning with our uh, new uh, client experience and business strategy uh, team member. And I'm like, so how do we do like, just how do we do it all differently? How do we grow this company and get to a point where we can truly be working, you know, three and a half day work weeks? How do we grow this company and how do we think differently about compensation? And how do we, we are even joking about not, I'm not joking, but I was like, you know, VR, I think will eventually become, something more substantial than it is, or it has the possibility. And so how do we Mm -hmm. start to be, how do we, how do we start playing in that space? How do we understand, even get familiar with the technology? So as that evolves, right. And as humans are (laughs) interacting and communicating in different ways. And it was fun even just to think like, well, maybe for our fifth year anniversary, we need to just get everyone (laughs) VR headsets and we're going (laughs) to play around and explore with it. But choose um, a system that other people have legs. I find that very distracting. When they don't have legs. I know. <laughs> yes, I understand. <laughs> I did actually participate in one and I asked the designer, like, why do they do that? And they're like, it's it's like uh, you could just kind of like port from like one space to the other and you don't really have to walk there. Like you would yeah. never walk there. And, and that's why they don't have legs sure. because the visual is just let go. But I found it incredibly distracting to have sure. half a body. 
Sure. Yeah, the brain is like, wait, this all feels very real until I looked out and I can't see my feet. But but that'll exactly. change, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You know? That's right. And that's 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 where it's like, unless you start with with it now and experiment, yeah. you can't. You're not going to see the progress, right? Yeah. And that's where it's like you you have to to play around with it. And I think we kind of have to let go of that certainty, right? Like people. Mm have especially leaders the more seen you you are you like to operate in a feeling of of certainty like you you have that authority you like to convey you like to <laughs> trust that you know what you know right but i think that the more we get into the future of work with the ch- pace of change where it is it's only going to get faster i think that you actually have to embrace that ambiguity yeah. that uncertainty and that vulnerability to say i don't know but i'm willing to learn it's that learner's mindset, right? Mm. And then how can we leverage the skills and the abilities of other people who work with us to really leapfrog and, and learn from each other, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, it's, it's not that one person is going to know everything. It's like, how do you work together and collaborate? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's I- really... I mean, all, all research shows that the more diverse your team is, the more, right. And it's not just the, the, the makeup. You have to actually then listen to the diverse minds. And, and again, I mean, not, no one person is going to know every, they don't now, but sometimes we behave in those ways. And, and that's, that's right. <laughs> boy, that's not another, you know, uh, invitation for being really thoughtful about inclusion and, and how do we, how do we make sure all voices are heard? Nola, this has been such a treat to have you on the show. And before we before we uh, uh, give people a path to connect with you, I, I want to ask you our last question that we ask everyone. So first, clearly, we need to have you back. There's at least three different topics that I want to explore with you. So we'll definitely make that happen. But in the spirit of conversations on conversations, Nola, what is a conversation you've had with yourself or with someone else that was transformative? Uh, transformative. Uh, actually, when I um, switched jobs in 2019, I had a conversation with myself where I was moving to a 100% remote role, and it was the only role that um, was 100% role in that company. And I remember thinking to myself that if the job didn't work out, I was going to have to leave, mm-hmm. right? So that was actually a transformative understanding to have because when my job was actually restructured a year and a half later... Um, my lawyer had asked me, um, are you, do you feel you're being set up for success with the offer that had been given? Cause I was, I was actually offered a different role and I'm like, no. And I, I knew from my previous understanding that it was likely I was going to lose that, that ability to be a hundred percent remote. Right. Um, so I think thinking ahead, thinking about all the different options, almost like strategically go like how do how do you get thirty thousand feet and above, and look at where your role is in the company, how the company makes money, and where your path is, the next step, right? Know where you want to go because that's going to prepare you for whatever is going to happen to you. So that's with mm. what's happening right now in the world with all of these layoffs that have happened. If people are prepared, and things unexpectedly happen, and you have to make quick decisions, if you've got that understanding and you understand how you're being set up for success Mm -hmm. and what your next logical step would be 
it's like choose your own adventure. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're proactively planning like where that can go. Know what that story looks like. Um, and I think that's a transformative conversation. If you don't actually know that or have that understanding, like talk to your manager, talk to other people that you work with and understand what that maps out to be. So you yeah. can make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. Yeah, beautiful. Nola, I have no doubt that there will be people listening who are like, I think we need what she's offering. And there's a couple of different ways that you support companies and leaders. So can you talk just a little bit about, you know, what what are the different ways that you support companies? And then finally, what are the best ways for people to connect with you um, if they're interested in reaching out? Of course. Um, So it really all is sort of part of the path. So I offer consulting services to help organizations, uh, leaders uh, create like hybrid remote strategy. So how do you um, move from like an office centric uh, strategy to, to hybrid or remote, whatever you decide that to be. Right. So I can work with you directly to do that, but also I've created a a membership, which is really for people who are working in that transformation, because typically it's not going to be the CEO who's going to create all of that work and that policy. Uh, It's going to be somebody in HR or somebody who's involved in like digital transformation who's going to actually be working that way. It's actually very lonely work because Mm -hmm. who do you talk Mm. to about the future, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. has an agenda. Everybody wants a decision. Um, who Who do you talk to? And how do you learn best practices? Because there may not be a lot of people who work within your company who do that same sort of work, right? And in terms of community, even if you're part of like an HR organization or whatnot, there's a lot of people who are very office centric. And do you want a community where you can go and you don't actually have to prove yourself or mm. stand up for your beliefs constantly? So I mm. offer a membership that uh, is building out like resources and best practices, um, courses, and really just a space where we can actually kind of learn from each other and build that hybrid remote excellence. Like what is hybrid remote excellence? Mm. We don't we know what excellence in, in human resources looks like, right? There's there's uh, centers of excellence for uh, project management, all kinds of different things, right? But I've never seen one that's for hybrid remote. And mm-hmm. that's what I've been creating there with that membership too. So, awesome. And you can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn and Twitter are my places. If Elon Musk behaves uh, and Twitter sticks around, <laughs> he'll stay there. Uh, otherwise, it'll just be LinkedIn and community. But, yeah, awesome. And we will post, we will post all of those links Um, in the show notes so people can connect. And thank you so much for this conversation. I think this is, it's such an, I mean, it's just a necessary topic and you bring such a wealth of wisdom and insight and thoughtfulness. And there's definitely some things I'm pausing and reflecting on like, oh, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. So Nola, thank you so much for coming to the show and, and being part of this conversation. No, thank you. And, uh, you know, it's the perfect uh, uh, example of how we keep persisting, even when technology and, and the power goes in. Yeah. So thank you for take two. <laughs> yeah. Our guest this week has been Nola Simon. And there's a lot that she is giving me to chew on, not only as I think about the way we build our company, but in the clients that we support and that idea of how do we really take the time to dream about what could be you know something we've talked about on the show is that work hasn't necessarily worked for a lot of folks for a real long time and we've been gifted this opportunity so i hope that you all are leaving this conversation thinking 
differently and more expansively about what's possible when we think about the future of work. And we want to hear from you. What resonated? What are you chewing on? What What is your company doing that you're really proud of related to the future of work? So you can send us an email at podcast at sarahnollwilson.com. You can also find me on social media where my DMs are always open and we love to hear from you. And if you'd like to find out more about the work we do in helping you and your team have conversations that matter, you can check us out at sarahnollwilson.com. And if you haven't, you can pick up a copy of our latest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold to help you get rid of those pesky elephants in the room. And if you'd like to support the show, there's two main ways you can do that. First, you can consider becoming a patron. You can sign up at patreon.com slash conversations on conversations where your financial support will support the incredible team that puts this show together. And we do do appreciate it. Also, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. This helps us increase visibility of the show so that we can continue to bring on really awesome guests like Nola Simon. Big thank you to our team that makes this show possible, to our producer, Nick Wilson, our sound editor, Drew Knoll, our transcriptionist, Becky Reinert, Caitlin Summit-Nelson, who's our marketing guru, and the rest of the Snowcoat crew. And just a huge final thanks to Nola Simon for her patience as we navigate uh, coming back together and just sharing so much incredible wisdom. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember, when we change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So take care, please rest, rehydrate, and I'll see you again next week.